hear me out, yeah, just fine. All right. Sometimes we come across passages of Scripture, and it just seems like it's the one that we need to hear. And that was the case for me as I was um, preparing for a staff chapel this last week, and then I read it again, and I said, oh, I think there's a word for us here. So let's look at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. This is out of the Common English Bible. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything out of selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus, Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to be exploited. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like a human being. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him. He gave him the name above all names, so that in the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. So something stuck out to me in this passage, and part of it is because of I was reading a, a, a different passage a while ago. I was reading Acts chapter 1, and I have this Bible called the Abide Bible, which has these little, um, little notes in the margins, like where it invites you to journal on something or con- contempt- like contemplate on something. Or here's a question just to think about as you read this passage. And so I was reading Acts chapter 1, and it says the, the, the kind of journaling prompt was, so what are the disciples waiting for? Well, they're, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it says, what is a promise of God that you are waiting for that hasn't yet come true in your life? And so I started reflecting on this passage and thinking about through it. And, and when I was about 12 years old, I was on a youth retreat. My dad was the pastor of Dalmany, uh, the Mennonite Brethren Church in Dalmany. It has a 4th Avenue Bible Church, I think it is now. And we were on a youth retreat to Heritage Lake, and they have this old cabin, and our youth, youth group used to always go out to this Heritage Lake uh, cabin. And there's no, like one electrical plug-in, and we had to go up the hill to pump our water, and it was super rustic. And uh, it was this really, we looked forward to it all the time because it was this awesome youth retreat. And so we're out at Heritage Lake. We're having this um, devotional. And, and I can still remember Mrs. Friesen was leading the, the devotion and, and the Holy Spirit. It was, it was one of those markers of my faith in which I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in ways that I've re- rarely experienced. And everybody was, you know, crying and praying and worshiping. And, and this youth leader came over and he spoke a word of prophecy over me. Which I have a very bad memory. Like, I don't even remember what I, you know, preached two weeks ago. Um, and so I, I actually don't remember what was said. Which is probably good because uh, how does a 12-year-old live into a prophecy spoken over them when it's, I remember vague pieces of it. 
But I, I remember being like, wow, this is like God's got this thing for me, right? And, and off we go, and, 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 you know, life continues. And a few years later, we are now living in uh, Manitoba, Niverville, and uh, my buddy Steve is like, kind of like, I'm hanging out in these MB circles, and then my friend Steve's hanging over in the vineyard circles, and, and he's like, you got to come to this worship night. And I was like, okay, cool, like, we'll go to this worship night. And we went in, and at my little... My little Mennonite self was blown, like, what is happening, right? People are falling down and praying in tongues. And I was like, what is this? This is, this is crazy. Uh, but in this moment, in this worship night, as a 14, 15-year-old, this random stranger comes over me and speaks a word of prophecy. He says, I have a word from God for you. It says almost exactly the same thing. Again, I don't really remember what it was, but I do remember that it was the same thing because I went home to that night and I told my parents, I was like, this guy said something, and my parents went, mm, yeah, we've heard that before. So here I am this last two weeks ago or whatever, and I'm reflecting on the book of Acts, and it's like, what is this word? You know, what's a promise from God that you've been given that you haven't experienced yet? And I was like, well, maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this word, this thing, maybe it's coming closer to the time in which this will happen. So I'm praying, and I'm like, God, you know, like, if, if I'm supposed to do this big thing for your kingdom, like, can you send me, can you send me an Aaron to be the Moses? And I, what I sensed the Holy Spirit say back to me was, well, wait a minute, Nathan. Who said you're Moses? Why are you the hero of the story? Maybe you're Aaron, and you need to find someone to come alongside. Or maybe you're Deborah. Or maybe, Nathan, you are just the Israelite who has to just walk through the water. But we live in a world in which we are all primed to be the heroes of our story. We live in a world where we hope to be the little boy who, living under the stairs who finds out that he's actually a wizard. We want to be the hobbit who goes and saves the world. You're the one who carries the ring. I always identify with Frodo, not with Sam or Pippin or Mary. Pick any movie and think about the story of the hero. Plucked from obscurity to become the one who saved the world from aliens or from whatever. We are primed to live. So I was a youth pastor for a decade. I have been to more graduation ceremonies than most. I know... Every year, right? Class of 99, class of 2000, 2001 to 2002. We're going to go and do what? Be great. Change the world. This class, watch out world, here we come. We are going to be the world changers. We live in a world that primes each of us to be the hero of the story that we are great and significant and that my individual life matters in a way that... So this is the story we tell ourselves. This is the story we live into. I'm going to be the Moses to fulfill the story of God. I'm going to be the hero of this story. Friends, I just want to bring us a little dose of humility. Philippians tells us that there's already a hero of the story. You and I are called to live into the story of God. 
We live in a world that wants individuals, each of us, to be the hero of the story and the primary person of the story. And so we build the story around us. And we say, I'm the hero. I'm going to do something great. I'm significant. In the story of God, there is a hero. And it's not me. And it's not you. What Philippians says to us in verse 9 is that therefore God highly honored him and gave him the name above all names. So that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the story of God, the role of hero is taken. It's Jesus, not us. Which leads us then to the question, so then what is our role? As those who are called to exalt God, to worship Him, to to live in His presence, to, to show the world what the kingdom of God is like, what salvation means, what's our role? Philippians 2 verse 2 is just this fascinating picture into what our role is if it's not the hero. And so Paul writes, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. So what's really fascinating here is that Paul is taking Greek political language and he's placing it on the church. These phrases, um, complete Uh, thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, agreeing with each other, are political Greek languages. And so what would happen is in the Greek city-state, they would use this language when they called the citizens together, which is, interestingly, the ekklesia, right? Where we pull our word for church. They would gather and assemble the people in the city, and they would say, we, here we have to take some action. For, for example, if, if a city, another city-state was marching against their city-state, they would, or, or maybe there was a vote that needed to be taken, right? They would blow a horn through the city, and they would walk up and down the streets, and they would announce, everyone needs to come and gather. Citizens, come together. We need to close up our shops, and so the citizens would hear the horn, right? They'd close up their shops, they would head to the amphitheater to get the news, and then fulfill their civic duty to the city-state. And they would come to think together, to agree together, to be united in what they should do. Interestingly, just a side note, sort of, uh, shop owners would sometimes refuse to close up their shops. They would hope that maybe while all their competitors were gone, going to do the united thinking together, they could make a couple extra bucks by keeping their stores open. The Greeks had a word for that. It was called idiotes. Meaning someone closed up in their own world who is concerned only with personal goals and ignores the greater So within this political realm, Paul is saying, look out. There is going to be a temptation in a poll to become an idiote. (laughs) So imagine then Paul blowing the horn, calling the church together to come and be united, to agree with each other, to do, and, and, and then maybe not so subtly, we even hear Paul saying, don't be an idiote. Don't 
close up yourself into your own world, concerned only with your own personal goals, and ignore the greater good. It reminds me of this quote by Paul Carter. He says, When Christians appear more focused on their rights and liberties than their service and sacrifice, they have lost their sense of the beautiful tune. There's a beautiful tune that God is calling us to live into. It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. It has been called the upside-down kingdom. It is the way of Jesus that is characterized by self-surrender, of following the hero of the story in service to others. And so this language of idiotes, I think, is exactly what Paul means here in Philippians 2. He is urging the church not to be like those who are only looking out for their own goals and ignoring the greater good. Because what he says in verse 3 is this. Don't do anything out of selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. The word attitude is literally, in Greek, means mindset. To adopt the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus. Don't let your personal liberties or rights be something that you hold on to or something to exploit, but rather empty yourself. Take on the form of a slave to serve those around you. Sounds to me like Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek does not mean weak. It means strength under control, willing to be humble, choosing the way of Jesus, the way of sacrifice for the greater good. So therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God as something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like a human being. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him the name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone on heaven and on earth and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Powerful, timely words for us. I struggle with it. Like, let's just be honest. There are questions that come. What does it mean when he says, uh, complete my joy by thinking the same way? We think it's worth saying that not all ideas are equal. Not all ideas are valid. Not all, all opinions are right. 
there is thinking that is not good and not holy, not beneficial. There are, are ideas that are racist and misogynistic and anti-science and hateful and fearful. There are ideas that are rooted deeply within our individualism or our consumerism. And then we baptize them in the name of Jesus and we say, well, these are holy and this is what it means to be a Christian, but it's actually deeply rooted in an individualistic worldview, not that of Christ. We pass on ideas that might sound Christian but are displeasing to God. There's been an assumption for a long time that, that non-Christian worldviews are safely outside of the church doors. But I think we need to be honest and just say we don't always have a biblical worldview. We have a worldview that's shaped by many factors. And if we're not thinking through those and, and asking questions and, and revealing them, we, we sometimes are formed in ways that are actually anti-Christ. And we think, oh, we're good. But the way that we have been formed by the culture around us is not pleasing to Jesus. Philippians 2 gives us a good image of what a worldview that's shaped by Jesus looks like. That sees other people as the primary. That is humble. is not selfish. So this, to close then, it leads me to this conclusion. Jesus is the hero. Our stories need to be reframed in a way that centers the story of God with Jesus as the hero and that we live into that story. Not the other story where we get to be the hero to do great things and God becomes our sidekick. We live and we think in ways that we don't have the mind of Jesus. And so then we need to repent. The word repent literally means to change the way you think. So let us repent of our bad ideas. Our ways in which we have tried to make ourselves the center of the story and make God an auxiliary piece to the story. Repent of the ways that in our selfishness we have tried to gain control for our own life over other people. We seek to be the masters of our destiny and we have tried to live separate from God. And the invitation is to repent, to come back to God, to change our thinking and say, God, it is only because of you that I find value and meaning and purpose. It is in relationship with you that I find my story has meaning. It is in relationship to you that I find healing and rest and salvation. Let us repent. And let us worship God, Jesus, our hero. Amen.